Hey, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. If you use one of the Bibles uh, on the floor around you, you can turn to page 677. I was uh, reading a story uh, this week uh, that talked about how everyone in Manhattan uh, pushes one of these walk buttons uh, whenever they get ready to uh, cross uh, one of the intersections. And uh, well, it probably doesn't seem like a big deal to you. I mean, you know, we're just kind of trained uh, that if you're going to cross the intersection, uh, you push one of, these, one of these buttons. So what's the big deal? Well, the only problem is that in New York City, these buttons aren't wired to anything. All right, they don't work. All right, they, they, they don't operate. And it turns out that in 1988, the uh, city of New York went to a 100% computer-controlled uh, traffic grid. And so, therefore, everything's on a timer and controlled uh, based on uh, traffic patterns. Well, uh, because of it, uh, the city didn't have the budget, uh, the dollars, to remove these buttons. So they're still in place today. And here's the thing. Uh, they believe that most people uh, from New York City, these people in Manhattan, they know and they realize that these buttons don't work, uh, that all of the traffic is controlled by a computer grid, but they push the button anyways. Uh, they have found in observing that people are more inclined to push these buttons. Now, why do they do that? Well, some have uh, concluded that maybe it because uh, it gives them some, some symbol, and uh, that's where the title of this series uh, came from. But we've already been talking about, we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, about how, how many of these people uh, that came to this particular hillside to hear Jesus teach would have been shocked uh, by these statements, by these beatitudes that Jesus is proclaiming. Now, understand that the people in this crowd, they were not the religious rock stars of the day. Uh, they weren't a part of the it crowd, religiously speaking. I mean, these were common, ordinary people. But what's so beautiful about Jesus is that he comes along. See, uh, he received and delivered the Ten Commandments and led the people through the wilderness uh, for many years, eventually taking them all the way to the Promised Land. And a lot of us have heard of Moses as this powerful and influ influential leader, and it is true, but there's a particular verse in the Old Testament book of Numbers that says something else about this powerful leader this man by the name of Moses. Uh, in Numbers chapter 12, the verse uh, 3, the NIV says it this way. It says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now that's a powerful statement, right? All right those are some uh, powerful words about Moses. Now look at how the American Standard Version translates this very same verse. Again, Numbers 12, 3, the ASV says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. This great leader was known by many as the most humble, the meekest man on the earth. Now, was he weak? Now, Moses wasn't weak. I mean, if you study the Scripture, if you study his life, you know that he wasn't meek. He had great power and great influence, but it was under control. His strength was submitted to the authority and the work and the presence and the rule of God in his life. But that wasn't always the case. That wasn't always the case for him. I mean, Moses grew up in a palace in Egypt and uh, was a prince in that land. And there was a time when Moses had power that was out of control. And it's almost as if you could see it coming. I mean, he had the best education. He had the very best resources, major wealth, incredible prestige. And everywhere he went, people bowed down to him as he passed by. I mean, he had it all, right? But he lacked meekness. And it cost him dearly. One time in a fit of rage, Moses lost it and he killed a man. And even with all of his power and authority and influence, it didn't give him the right to go around committing murder in Egypt. And so he ran. 
Uh, he ran for his life. He became a fugitive, and he had to run from Egypt, and he escaped to the wilderness where he ended up spending a, a large time and a great amount of time in his life working as a shepherd. Now, talk about crash landing to go from the palace uh, to the fields to the wilderness to work as a shepherd. I mean, talk about having it all one day, uh, and then it's gone the next. And, and I wonder if some of you know what that's like. If some of you have had a kind of a crash landing in your life and you can kind of understand what it means to go from one place one day uh, to go to the very bottom or to the wilderness uh, the next day, I wonder if there are some dads here today and you know what it's like. Uh, You've experienced a crash landing like this and I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you messed up and uh, she left or uh, you lost your job or you made one very poor decision and now you're living Uh, You're experiencing the consequences of it. I mean, you know, we all know that power is a very tricky thing. Influence is a very tricky thing. And the truth is that a lot of us, what we want to do is we want to try and use whatever power we have to satisfy our desires uh, to ultimately get what we want. And so uh, because of it, many times we'll mistreat other people or we'll blow it uh, in a relationship. And so often it has to do with power out of control in our lives. And, and maybe we want something we can't have or we end up with something we don't really want or we get angry. Uh, we argue, we fight, uh, we demand control in our lives. We want to be in charge in our home. We want to use our personal power so that we can get what we want. I was reading an article uh, this past week about a study that was conducted by a researcher who wanted to find out uh, if power and authority uh, can really corrupt people. And so what he did is he took subjects and uh, he put them in groups of two and he had them play the board game Monopoly. And the whole point of the exercise was to see who would die of boredom first. Um, No, I'm just kidding. That really wasn't it. Um, But but he had two people play Monopoly, but intentionally skewed the game uh, in one person's favor. And so uh, for the one person, he gave them twice as much money. And he gave them the two die uh, to work with. But with the other person, they only got one die. And they got half as much uh, money. And uh, so he let them play the game. And here's what he found out in this research over a period of time, that within minutes, the player who had the game rigged in their favor started acting different. Uh, He or she would make less eye contact, uh, take up more of the table, start uh, moving the other player's pieces for them and becoming louder and more obnoxious as the game went on. Here's the thing. Here's what they ultimately discovered in this experiment. Both players knew the game was rigged. Both knew it was random, but it only took a few minutes for this artificial power to convince someone that they had real power that they had real status in this particular moment. And I think that's kind of what Moses did. That's kind of what Moses realized. I mean, he didn't take, he he took matters into his own hands uh, for a number of reasons and ended up killing a guy. And I'm pretty sure that none of you here today have done anything uh, like that, but maybe you can find an example in your life where the power that you had was just too great or the desire in you to control something ended up costing you and costing you greatly. It cost Moses. He lost everything, and because of it, he winds up in the wilderness as a shepherd, and it was 40 years before God spoke to him through the burning bush. Now, just stop there for a second and think about this. One mistake, radical, life-changing circumstances for Moses, 40 years passed. Now, I don't want to be a discouragement to you today, but some of you have been enduring the effects or the consequences of a decision or of a choice that you made, what now for maybe a week, or it could be weeks, or months, or maybe even some years, 
And what kinds of thoughts and doubts and regrets have gone through your mind? What kinds of doubts and thoughts and regrets must have gone through the mind of Moses over a period of 40 years in the wilderness? Now, I'm not saying that God is going to make you wait for 40 years, and I can't even begin to imagine why God waited for 40 years before he called Moses out of the wilderness, but I will tell you this, that for God and for Moses, the wilderness was very intentional. It was very intentional. And I just want to say that for some of you today, you are there right now and you are enduring some tough times in your life and you're enduring some struggle and it's hard. I want you to know that God can use the wilderness of your life just as he used the wilderness in the life of Moses. He can use the wilderness uh, experience in your life too. He can use this time to get through to you. Uh, He can use this time to humble you, to get that need and that desire for control out of you so that he can take it. And more importantly, what he can do with this time is he can use this time, he can use this season of your life to increase your dependence in him. And that's what he wants from us. And I think that's what he's doing with Moses. And it's interesting uh, when you think about it, that God didn't lift Moses up as a leader while he was a prince in Egypt. He lifted him up as a leader while he was a shepherd of animals in the wilderness. I mean, Moses had been stripped of all of his powerful titles as a lowly shepherd in the desert before the work of God really took hold in his life and really moved him to a different place. And I really think that Moses' experience of being a shepherd of animals in the wilderness prepared him to be the shepherd of people, to lead God's people through the wilderness and ultimately to the promised land. God used that wilderness season to grow and to cultivate meekness in the life of Moses. And this man, this man Moses, who once acted impulsively, abusing the power he possessed, became the man who said things to God like this in Exodus chapter 33, uh, starting in verse 13, where, where we read, if you are pleased with me, Moses said, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Uh, Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Do you see the meekness in Moses? Do you see this work that God has done in him? Do you see the power under control? He's now asking God to work through him. He's dependent on God for direction and strength and wisdom. And did God's power flow through him? You bet. And here's what Moses learned. Moses learned that a life independent of God is a life that is not worth living at all. And does it work today? Does meekness work today? Do the meek have a place in our world today? Well, I think we're trained to think that it doesn't work. Um, Because if you live in the real world, you know what it takes. If you live in the real world, uh, if you work in the real world, it doesn't take long before you realize how the game is played. And I just think that it's important for us uh, to make, to be very clear today and to recognize that, that when Jesus was teaching this, it was just as countercultural then as it would be for us today. I mean, our society says that the one who gets ahead, right, is the one who fights the hardest. It's the one who works the hardest. That's who we think gets ahead in the world, but Jesus says, no, it's not the movers. It's not the most aggressive. It's the meek. It's the most dependent. It's those who are under the control Uh, and the authority of someone who is greater. Jesus says it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Now, you might uh, be surprised to find out that leading-edge research of business management uh, even bears this out. Uh, Corporate leaders with great positional influence get this idea of meekness 
uh, as well. Jim Collins uh, is a great researcher, professor uh, of business, business management. He's written a book entitled Good to Great, uh, where he profiled companies that, in his own words, defy gravity and convert long-term mediocrity into long-term superiority. And he said that one of the distinguishing factors uh, his team of researchers discovered is what he calls level five leaders. And uh, level five leaders have two distinguishing characteristics, according to Collins and his team. One is fierce resolve to do whatever needs to be done. So that's the power that we see in leadership and that they were not eye-centered. Instead, that these leaders would have extreme personal humility. Uh, They were meek, all right? This was the power under control. And what Collins did uh, in his study, as an example, is he contrasted two business leaders. Uh, One person that many people have heard of, uh, a guy by the name of Lee Iacocca, uh, but then a second leader, uh, a leader that's not as well known, but a guy by the name of Ken Iverson. All right, now Ken Iverson was the CEO of Nucor and took his company from near bankruptcy uh, to become one of the most successful steel companies uh, in the world. He oversaw Nucor's uh, complete transformation. And Collins interviewed one of his board members, and here's how his own board member described Iverson. He said this, he writes, Ken is a very modest and humble man. I've never known a person as successful in doing and what he's done that's as modest. And that's true in his private life as well, the simplicity of him. He says, I mean the little things. He has a simple house that he's lived in for ages. He only has a carport, and he complained to me one day about how he had to use his credit card to scrape the frost off of his windows and broke his credit card. I told him, you know, Ken, there's a solution for it. Enclose your carport. All right, and he said, ah, heck, it isn't that big of a deal. He said, he's that humble. And really that simple. And then Collins identified this. And he identified the differences that he saw in two great and successful leaders, this Iverson and Iacocca. And here was the bottom line of his research, of Collins' research and what he believed to be the best leaders. That is relationally and financially. He found and discovered the greatest leaders were those who were meek. Those leaders, those level five leaders, as he called them, that demonstrated power under control. And here's Jesus in Matthew 5, 5. And he says, blessed are the meek, for the meek are the ones that will inherit the earth. Jesus says meekness is a beautiful thing. He's calling you and me to live this beautiful life, this life of meekness. Now, how do we live? Fine. Verse 4 says that the meek delight in the Lord. Now, I wonder how much of your life and my life would change if we would just start doing, if we would continue in this one thing, and that is to daily, every day, carve out time to spend time with the Lord. You know, delighting in the Lord means moving to the place where we see spending time with the Lord as a chore, but instead it's something where your attitude starts changing and you realize that this is something that you desire. This is something that we get to do, and that is to spend time with the Lord. And by delighting in the Lord, we long for it. We long for that time of just you and God and your Bible. I mean, it takes discipline and it takes effort to get started, but eventually it becomes something you delight in Him. You know, the meek delight in the Lord. The meek take time with the Lord. We also see where the writer says that the meek commit their ways uh, to the Lord. And that's as he says. The meek trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit their ways to Him, all their ways and practice being still before the Lord. Man, think about it. What could happen in your life if you started doing these things? I mean, how how would it change the way you viewed God? 
you know, the work that He would do in our minds and our impression of Him and what we expect from Him and what we know we can receive from Him. How might it influence you, you know, in your life to live a, a meek life at work or at school? I mean, how would it change your family? How could it change your marriage right now uh, or the relationship that you're in? Dads, what if you asked the Lord to make you meek? What would it look like for you to pray a prayer like that, to, to pray and uh, to surrender your will and your power and your agenda to God and to His will and to submit all of who you are under His authority? You know, Moses is one example of biblical meekness, the best example. The second example is Jesus. And just like the words that we read just a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do you see that taming that he invites us to? Do you see that training that he's inviting us to? He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, that word translated there as gentle is the word meek. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 5, 5. You see, Jesus was the very personification of strength under control. And he is the one who came to serve with his whole life in one of the greatest ways that we can show meekness is to do what Jesus did, and that is to take up the attitude of a servant in everything that we do. And so dads, husbands, you know, men, and one of the best ways for you to lead your home is to take up the nature of a servant, just like Jesus did. And and what's that look like this afternoon? What's that look like tomorrow? It just kind of means that if there's a job around the house that no one wants, dad volunteers to do that job, you know? Uh, it means tomorrow morning at breakfast, if there's one burnt piece of bacon, you know what, Dad, you just, you, you're willing to take that one uh, burnt piece of bacon. I mean, if there's someone that's got to go out in the rain with the dog this evening, you know, a meek dad is someone who's willing to do that. And if there's a conflict on the street and a peacemaker is needed, a meek dad, a meek man is one who is willing to kind of take the lead and take the initiative there. A meek man is one who is willing to take the lead praying uh, for their family, praying uh, for your neighbors, the people that you're living around. That's what Jesus would do. He served. He was meek. Does that mean he was weak? Well, you tell me. He is the one that was mocked and beaten and lashed and whipped and dragged through the streets and crucified on a cross for my sin and your sin. I mean, there is no one that has ever been more undeserving of the suffering and humility that Jesus went through. And at any moment, he could have used his power to call down fire from heaven and save himself from the cross. Yet in his meekness, he came under the authority. He continually lived under the authority of his Father in heaven. And he gave himself over to the very ones who had injured him, to you and me. He died for you, and he died for me. And so is meekness a weakness? Not a chance. Meekness is power under the control and the rule of God. And Jesus says it's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. You know, Lord, as we, we come before you right now and as we think about what meekness looks like in our life, I, I can't think of a better word than surrender. It's to surrender all of our will and everything we are and come under the rule of, of you. And you invite us to come. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I just wonder, you know, maybe first to begin, if there are some men here today, if there are some fathers here today, some dads here today, and 
Well, maybe you're just feeling weary and burdened. Maybe you feel like your life, I mean, you are in the wilderness. Would you be able, would you be willing to hear the invitation of Jesus today and hear from the one who says, I will give you rest? The one who says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And he says, and you will find rest and peace and strength for your lives. You know, maybe your prayer today just says, Lord Jesus, I come before you. I surrender to you. My heart is yours. My life is in your hands. It's just like the song we're going to sing uh, in just a moment. Uh, but maybe it's not just men. Maybe it's not just dads today. Maybe there's a, a woman here today. And maybe you'll hear from the Lord today, and he's just going to call you to a life of meekness. Maybe there's a student here today, a college student, a high school student, a middle school student. And the Lord's going to speak into your life today and call you into a life of meekness that you've been trying to do way too much on your own, that you've been trying to control the situation, control your parents. But instead, to hear from the Lord today and to hear his invitation to come and to take on this attitude of meekness, to let the Holy Spirit do that work in you. Will you just pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Do this work in me today. Make me meek. And Father, what a perfect example that we see in your son, that he died for us, that he gave his life for us. Lord, I pray that we would know the power and the truth of forgiveness, of the invitation to the life that we've been called into, the beautiful life, living with hope and power and strength under your control and under your rule. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.